Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Allison Johnson, a senior editor for National Geographic Books, where she publishes travel, photography, cookbooks, and illustrated reference titles. Today, Allison brings us the newest edition of National Geographic Complete National Parks of the United States. I hope you're ready to take an armchair adventure, which will hopefully inspire some actual adventures to some of these wonderful and natural places in our country. Allison Johnson, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today. Good morning, and thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm very excited because we're going to take this kind of vicarious adventure through some of our national parks, and that's because you are with National Geographic, and you're a senior editor, and you have this wonderful new book that has over 400 parks and monuments and historical sites and all listed in here. So uh, first of all, thank you for bringing this forward for us. Oh, well, we're so excited. This is our third edition of the Complete Parks of the United States, and it covers all 63 national parks, as well as all of the state parks, uh, seashores, national recreation areas, and historic monuments of the National Park Service. So as you said, there are more than 400 sites in this book, and it's just so inspiring to see how diverse our country is in outdoor recreation and all the different ways that we can enjoy it. Oh, absolutely. The fact that it's a third edition, uh, are there enhancements? What changes when you go to a new edition? Well, we're always looking and researching the parks that we've already included in the previous edition. We constantly have a team of travel writers who are visiting all of these parks and sites, but they're also in talks with park rangers. So we're updating all of the information to really give you the best information about the parks and the things to do there, the little hidden gems that you might find, ranger tips. But also every year there are new parks and sites added. Um, And so we want to keep the book as up-to-date as humanly possible. So I know that within the last few years, we actually had three new national parks since the last edition. So the most recent one being New River Gorge in West Virginia. So, of course, we had to add it to the book, and we don't want to leave any park out. And we want to make sure our readers have the most up-to-date information as possible. Which is very exciting to find that that's going on and that there always is something new. So just this is very intriguing that this new park was added in West Virginia, probably not all that far. Well, within your state. No, no, it's a different state because you're in Virginia, correct? (laughs) Yes, I'm in Virginia, but it's just a hop over. (laughs) So how did this end up becoming a national park? So New River Gorge was already a national recreation area, and there was a campaign to preserve it under the national park system. And so it was named a newest national park. It was the 63rd National Park. And it's really because of how much nature it preserves. And it's a beautiful gorge. There's lots to do and see around it. There's the valley. There's the river. There's green forests. Um, and there's lots to do. One of my favorite things to tell people to do if they plan to visit the new park is a zip lining tour where you actually zip line through the canopies in the forest surrounding the gorge. So there's lots to do and see there. And I'm really excited that it was named a national park because it just gives more protection to this beautiful area. 
Oh, absolutely. And how wonderful. That is something to intrigue us to travel across this continent and get to the <laughs> East Coast and enjoy this. And I know zip lining. I, I don't think of zip lines in national parks. Is that becoming more common or is this something that existed so therefore it's in this park? It's something that already existed with outfitters there. And sometimes you'll find it at other parks and it's various outfitters depending on the park itself. But I think that's really unique, especially to a national park, whereas most times you'll find it in a state park or just outside of a state park. So for New River Gorge as a national park to have zip lining is really exciting. Yes, that's really wonderful. So the very newest park that we have, which leads me to think of what was the actual first national park? I should know this, but I don't. Well, Yosemite and Yellowstone were among them, but the first national park was actually created um, by Teddy Roosevelt, um, who now has a park in his own name, which is great. But Yellowstone was established in 1872, and that was our first national park um, that we had. And it's now one of the most well-known, I would say, as rightfully rightfully so it should be. (laughs) Yes. And goodness, it's changing. I I feel excited that I actually have been able to visit Yellowstone Oh, but it's been quite some time, and it was at a time when there were a lot of forest fires. It was very smoky, so we were Mm -hmm. really fortunate to be able to get in. And actually, we had to leave because they were going to be closing the park because of the fires. So sadly, that has been an issue uh, in many of the parks, sadly. But uh, even this year, I think Yellowstone was suffering some of that, wasn't it? Yeah, Yellowstone actually experienced some extreme flooding this year, which closed down a big portion of the park. Um, And a lot of visitors who were there had to leave or they were confined to smaller areas of the park. And there are still parts of Yellowstone, unfortunately, that remain closed because of the flooding while they're they're fixing the damage and trying to make sure that it's safe for visitors to be back in those areas. Oh, such a challenge. And and that's nature, though, all over as as we well know with the hurricanes or with earthquakes and fires and that sort of thing, that uh, everything's always changing and we have to be adapting. Yeah, you know, one of the places that is most fascinating with nature taking its toll is in Hawaii. They have Volcano National Park in Hawaii, which is a must-see for anyone who can get there. It's on the big island. But a few years ago, it was actually closed because of volcanic activity that there were a lot, there was a lava spill throughout much of the park. And now they're recovering. A lot of it has already been repaired and visitors can go back there. But routes that you would normally take on your bike or walking have been rerouted because of a volcanic activity at the park. So it's amazing that we have a park with active volcanoes, but that is one of the things you have to deal with when you visit is that you never know when nature is going to roar. Exactly. And regardless of what aspect of nature, you just have to respect it. The flooding is a challenge. Volcanoes, definitely. So (laughs) (laughs) they're all, yeah, you just have to respect that, right? Yes, you do. And respect the wildlife that lives there, too. Yes. Yes, that is so challenging. Uh, uh, We're grateful that we have the national parks and having all of that nature so that we at least have those preserves for our wildlife. 
Yeah, and you know, I think Yellowstone is a great example of that. When you go hiking there, the rangers will tell you, don't leave without your bear spray. And it's really, you're on their turf when you're in these national parks. And I think that's a really wonderful thing to remember because that's why we have this park system to preserve the flora and fauna that lives there. And we are guests in those environments. Yes, and to really, as you say, respect that this is their home and and to treat it that way and not feel that, we can just do whatever we darn well feel like, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. So thinking of um, these lovely parks, ha- uh, have you a favorite? I do. Well, one of my favorites, it's not a national park, it's actually a state park, is Flaming Gorge in Utah. It's actually on the border of Utah and Wyoming, so it crosses into both states. But, you know, the Utah National Parks are breathtaking and definitely worth a visit, but they can get crowded. We have Zion, we have Bryce all the way in Utah. But if you want that same flavor, Flaming Gorge is such a great opportunity to go off the beaten path, avoid the crowds, and really have beautiful scenery and lots to do. They have a beautiful blue river that cuts through the gorge and the red sandstone that you're used to seeing at the other Utah parks are border that gorge and cliffs. And there's a lot of hiking to do. You can boat or fish in the gorge itself. So that's one of my favorite tips to give to people that want to go out to Utah to see the national parks, but don't want to deal with the crowds. Looking at those state parks that give you the same look and feel but might be a bit smaller in scale, but give you more space to have to yourself. Wonderful. I understand, well, of course, parks come in all sizes. So Yellowstone probably is one of the largest, is it? Definitely one of the largest, but definitely Alaska gets you the largest Mm -hmm. parks because they are the last remaining territory, untouched territory. So in Alaska, you have Gates of the Arctic National Park, which is probably one of the biggest ones that we have. You also have Wrangell-St. Elias uh, National Park, which is massive. Um, And so if you really want breathtaking landscapes that go on for miles and miles, make your way over to Alaska to get those. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Being here in Washington State, of course, we feel that we have some pretty spectacular parks that include the mountains, and uh, and they are really so awesome and breathtaking. Have you visited here at all? I have. It's been a while, but I have, and one of my favorites by you is Olympic National Park and the forest there. And it's actually a rainforest, which I think people don't know that we have a lot of <laughs> in the United States. And so I think that's a really special place to visit. Um, and I'm dying to get back there. Yes, yeah, that is definitely uh, so, so wonderful. I actually live near Mount Rainier National Park, so it's wonderful to be able to look out and see that mountain and know that all of that exists. Although there, too, we see with um, with climate changes, warming climate, how actually those glaciers are receding. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure seeing that firsthand, it's really you know, a reminder every day of how much things are changing in our climate. Yes, absolutely. But Uh, Mount Rainier is beautiful, and one of the best times I tell people to visit is in the spring when you get the wildflowers mm, blooming all around the base. It's so scenic. (laughs) Yes. Oh, it it is gorgeous. Uh, And I think it was actually springtime that we were there, and it is quite—we didn't hike through it. We, We drove, but even that, there are are wonderful roads and seeing these old 
growth forests. It's it's just wonderful. Yeah, and road tripping is actually one of my favorite ways to tell people to see the parks because one, you can get a few in in one trip. And also sometimes you get access points to scenic overlooks that are better, or you just pull over and take a short hike rather than hiking for miles and miles. You can do a one mile out and back from your car. And actually, isn't that a wonderful kind of thing to think about, uh, planning for whatever season, because uh, the country being such as it is, we can go at any time of year at certain places. So it would be something to plan with the family to really focus on seeing parks in a certain area and expanding to maybe get to the point of seeing all of them in a lifetime. Exactly. You can kind of divide up the country by little regions and hit a few at once. I think it's a wonderful way to expose your children to the national parks. Take them on a week-long road trip um, for a summer break from school if you can, you know, and you can choose to stay at lodges at the park or maybe campgrounds. You can also get those state parks in because there's always going to be other parks nearby the national parks that you can visit. Right. So, yeah, and in saying that, it's uh, a thing to then remember this book is a wonderful thing to have as a resource, but also th- to think of it in terms of gifting and think of it as a, as a family gift, for instance, with just this idea in mind of planning these little trips over the over a year and into the years following that you can really document together. Absolutely. I think anyone can use this book as their bucket list to the parks. Mm -hmm. And it's really, you know, families can use it, but you can really find a trip or a park that fits whatever type of traveler you are. If you're into U.S. history, the, the National Historic Landmarks, you can make a road trip just going from one to another. You can go to the Martin Luther King National Historic Landmark in Atlanta. You can make your way over to the Selma Bridge in Montgomery, Alabama. Um You can also, if you're into battlefields, all the battlefields are listed. Or if you prefer the beach, we have national seashores. So you can go beach to beach on a road trip. There's really something for everyone within our park system. And it's fun to to think about being able to connect in all of them and do it in an organized way. I, I've never really done it in that way. And, and just on a personal note, and have been amazed that I... I had lived in Hawaii at one time, so I have seen uh, or been to uh, Volcanoes National Park and up to Haleakala and at Pearl Harbor. But also, we deliberately then, living back on the continent again, uh, being up in the northeast in Maine and going to Acadia National Park. It was like, oh, I love it. It's kind of these bookends. Yeah, it's amazing the diversity of landscapes we have. I actually was just in Maine myself, and this is the best time of year to go to Maine when all the colors are changing. Um, We didn't get to Acadia, but we went to Grafton Notch State Park, and we did a beautiful hike, ended at a summit where you're looking over what feels like all of Maine and seeing all the foliage. And I think there are hidden gems in every state like that. And you know, Acadia this time of year, you have to have a reservation to get in because it gets so crowded. So when that happens and you might not be able to get to the national park, parks like the state parks like Grafton Notch are great alternatives where you're not going to get the same exact experience, but very similar. Right. And that is something that we do need to keep in mind is that 
it's great that they are so popular. But popular means they're going to be crowded, and in order to really protect the wildlife and nature, there has to be a limit as to the number of visitors that are going to be traipsing through. Yes, certain parks will limit the reservation system. Other parks that don't get as many visitors, you you might not have to encounter that. One of the great things about this book is we let you know when reservations are required. Maybe it's just during high season. Maybe it's all year round. Also, if you're a camper or a hiker and you want to go backcountry or camp within the park, what the permit guides are, as well as the reservation systems and how far you need to book in advance. For instance, if you want to camp in the Grand Canyon, you probably have to get your permit for that about a year in advance of making it there. So you really have to do some planning to get to these bigger, more popular parks and do the type of trip that you're looking for. Have you camped in any of the parks? I have not camped in the Grand Canyon, but I've camped in the Shenandoah National Park, which is right near us. Um, It's about an hour away from Northern Virginia. And what's beautiful about Shenandoah is there's a skyline drive you can take that's on the ridge line overlooking the forest. But there are lots of campsites that you can go to there. And it's a great thing to do in the fall if you're on the East Coast. So is it more ideal to then plan for fall camping as opposed to other times of the year? You could do fall camping. Summer camping is also great because you have lots of things to hike and see. I personally love fall camping because I like cooler weather. But another great place I've camped in the summer is Assateague Island National Seashore. And what's really cool about this, this is an island that borders both Virginia and Maryland on the Chesapeake Bay area. And the island actually has a population of wild horses that live there. So you're actually camping with wild horses on the beach. And it's a really cool place to go, especially in the summer. Um, You get the beach experience, but then you're literally waking up and there's a herd of wild horses just sitting on the beach two feet away from you. And it's a really spectacular experience. It's one of the parks that we feature in the book because it's a national seashore And it's just a -a one-of-a-kind thing that you can't really find anywhere else in the country. Being an island, then, is there a ferry system to get across? There are bridges. There are ferries, too, but most people just take the bridges across. Um, And then once a year, they have an event where they herd up a few of the wild horses and you actually see them cross the bay, which is a really unique experience to watch, too. Meaning that they swim across the bay. Yes, they swim across. (laughs) Wow. Isn't that amazing? And is this population of wild horses being maintained or maintaining its numbers or what's happening with it? They are maintaining its numbers. Assateague Island has been a treasured place for years and years, and the Park Service has always done a really good job of preserving the island and also making sure the horses populations are being well kept. There's a lot of rules when you camp there or visit, especially around making sure you're not feeding the horses or interacting with them. They are supposed to be living their lives unbothered and we are just there to watch and observe. And so even when you're camping, they have lock boxes for your food because the horses will try to get into them, but they don't want to introduce human food to their populations that might cause some damage to the herd. Certainly. Yes. So that obviously would be great, a a family uh, trip, family camping. So kids uh, of all ages would really 
en- enjoy that experience, I'm sure. Would you say there are some parks where young children, you know, toddler size, w- might not be it might not be a good experience for them? I wouldn't say there are any parks where young kids shouldn't go. I think you just have to pick your activities wisely. You know, look in advance at the hikes you plan to do or where you plan to stop along the way. You know, you want to make sure you're not doing a hike that's too strenuous or taking them to ridge lines that might feel dangerous if they're not sure on their feet yet. But most parks are super friendly to children. There's actually a park junior park ranger program that the National Park Service offers, and it's a great way to introduce your kids to the parks. They give you a lot of great education about wildlife, about nature, about the park itself, and there are even badges that you can collect from all the parks along the way that you visit. So the the effort is to really expose children to these natural habitats to make sure that they are advocates for the parks as well. And so it's more about choosing your activities wisely rather than avoiding a park itself which is really wise advice for us. And of course, again, I'm going to tout that this is a great book, this newest edition of uh, the uh, National Parks. Let me get the complete name. National Geographic, Complete National Parks of the United States. There we are. Over 400 in there. Over 400, yes, and it comes out October 18th, and if you're dying to get to a park, this will tell you every place you need to go. Which I really do think, with having this book, it lets you really have some wonderful dreams together as to what you'll do, where you'll go, and how you'll do it. And I mention it, too, in terms of timing, that, yes, it's for yourself as a family, but it's also a great gift. We're thinking of this gifting season already. So isn't it a, a wonderful idea to give someone that it's just so many adventures they can plan? Absolutely. For the traveler in your life, the traveler in your life, the hiker, the camper, anyone who loves history, this is the perfect gift for them because it has it all in one package. And then they can dream and plan their next trip and maybe invite you along. Right. Yes, exactly. No. There's a good idea. Uh, so a l- little bo- more kind of interesting tidbits or facts about some of the parks. What would be the smallest park that we have? Oh, the smallest park. That is actually a great question. And if you're thinking about national parks, the smallest one that we have is actually um, a memorial. It's called Tadeus Kazusko National Memorial, and it's in Pennsylvania, and it's only... acres big. So that's how small we go in size when we're talking about our complete park system. But you also have Gateway Arch National Park, which is the smallest national park. It's only 91 acres and it's in a city. So it's actually, you know, when you think of our national parks, you think of Yellowstone, you think of Grand Tetons, you think of Yosemite, but this is the Gateway Arch in St. Louis, and it's a city park that they now have named a national park. And I think that's wonderful that we're protecting more of these urban oases as well. Yes, and that one in itself, not having the book in front of me, being in the city, does it have a lot of trees and nature, uh, or, or what? what does it contain? Yeah, so it has a whole park around the arch. So there's lots of trees, grass, nature, paved walking paths. You're right up on the water as well. 
So there is still a lot of nature, but you're also in walking distance to downtown urban centers. So you can go to the park for a light stroll. It's almost like visiting Central Park in New York. You'll go for a light stroll and then you can pop into the city for a nice dinner after. So it's not a park where you're necessarily going to spend the night um, or anything like that. You're not camping here, but you're getting a hint of nature while being in a big city. Wonderful. Okay. How about the one that's most visited? Most visited is probably a tie for Yellowstone, Yosemite, and the Grand Canyon. But the other surprising one that's most visited is Zion National Park in Utah. And I can tell you there's a reason for that. It is an absolutely stunning park. It is also a really great size where you can see a lot of the park in a day or two rather than needing to spend a whole week there. Um, So that gets a lot of visitors, especially in the summer season. And I always tell people, because Zion is one of my favorite national parks, visit in the winter. It's less crowded and just as beautiful. You have to be okay with being cold. Mm -hmm. But it's really cool to see these red rocks and what are called hoodoos, which are kind of columns of red rocks. And they're kind of dusted in snow. It's kind of ethereal to be there in the winter, but it's worthwhile to skip the crowds, too. And if it's winter... Do they get much snow there? It may be cold, but snowy? It's not super snowy. It's not what you would expect for, like, if you're going skiing in Utah. It's more of a dusting of snow. So there might be times of the winter where there's more snow um, than usual, but it's not as heavy as if you were up in um, Provo Canyon where all the ski resorts are. So you're not going to be bogged down. A place that does get a lot of snow that I also visited in winter is Yellowstone. And that's another great place to see in the off season in winter. But the activities you do there change. You might walk the boardwalks that are on the geysers in Yellowstone. But really what you can do there, you can snowshoe, you can cross-country ski, you can snowmobile through the park. And it's just a different way to see the park itself. It's quieter. It's um, like being in a snow globe when you're there in the winter. Ooh, now that sounds very appealing. (laughs) (laughs) And these details that you're sharing with us, Allison, about, you know, the, the kinds of activities for winter in Yellowstone, all of that we can find in this new book? Yes, all of these activities are in the complete guide to the National Parks of the United States. So it gives you activity recommendations, kind of highlights maybe one or two of the best hiking trails that you should see, and also a really great history of each park from when it was founded to why it was founded to park ranger history. Some of these places have really well-known park rangers who have cared for the property. So we try to get a little bit of everything into every entry. So really something that we can immerse ourselves into uh, and get lost for as long as we want to with the book, but but then uh, find those favorite adventures and vacations that we can plan together. Exactly. So what I tell people to do with this book, create your bucket list, write out the list of the parks that you want to see, what you want to get to most, and then start planning using the book and really creating your itineraries park by park. But start with that bucket list and then figure out when and how you're going to get there because there's so much to see and do. This book can give you a lifetime of memory making and vacation. Oh, I think you've already sparked that quite well for us, Allison. <laughs> now I'm all glad. we well, really, you know, you're just such a wealth of information. Obviously, loving what you do and how you get to do it. Oh yes, I'm fortunate to be in this job. It's a wonderful thing to be able to travel and also travel from my desk chair with my travel writers every day. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, of course, the book then is 
available at all of our favorite book sources and and also uh, at National Geographic, right? Yes, you can get it at National Geographic or Amazon, Barnes & Noble, really wherever books are sold. So definitely make a point of getting one, as we said earlier, for ourselves or for our family, and then gifting it. I, I think it's just a, a magical kind of gift that it's going to inspire for, for years and years to come. I agree. I hope people are giving it out this holiday. I think it'll make for the perfect gift. I'm right there with you. Well, Allison Johnson, you're just uh, such a delight with so much great information and inspiration. I really appreciate um, all that you've shared with us. Thank you for your time and your enthusiasm this morning. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. That brings us to the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Allison Johnson and Sunday Morning Magazine with Dr. Dan O'Neill. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Just click on the podcast tab, then either of the show names, and then look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of adventures. Get outdoors, move, and plan some fun visits to our national parks. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning. Good morning.